Welcome to this week's show at Crazy Gentleman Podcast. I'm your host, Crazy Gentleman, and uh, the intro this week is real quick. Today's guest is Liam Kennedy, uh, also known as Chopper Chug on Instagram. Uh, Liam is a really interesting guy. He is a photo. How would I word that? Photo- photographic journalist. He's probably going to kill me for that photo. However you say it, he's a journalist and a photographer. Um, He explains it much better than I can. But uh, that's who he is, man. He's a really rad kid, way into choppers. And uh, he's, he's, no offense to all the other photographers I know, but he dives hard, man. This kid is uh, really, really, really passionate about journalism and his photography career. Uh, It was really cool getting to spend the afternoon with him. And uh, also checking his bikes out. Uh, just want to say thank you so much, Liam. And thanks, Dump Truck, for introducing us. Um, yeah, it was a cool little time uh, in Nashville. Uh, this would be the last episode from my three-week Nashville trip. Or Tennessee trip, I should say. Uh, I was kind of all over Tennessee. Last week, you got John Jessup. Uh, in East Tennessee, and this week you're getting Liam in Nashville. Um, but also, I wanted to make this introduction to talk about the 100th episode coming up. This episode right now is number 91, but uh, I figured I'd start ramping into it. Uh, this is brought to you by Simbita Custom Knives. Simbita underscore custom underscore knives on Instagram. Uh, go check out Evan. Uh, you could also go to simbitacustomknives.com. I don't know if I just said that or not. I don't know. Fucking spaced out, dude. It's like 11 o'clock at night and fucking shot. Still in work clothes and I still got to go to work. Uh, anyways. Go get yourself a custom knife from Evan, like this little guy. You can get this big guy. Um, I don't have the other one, my absolute favorite from him, uh, because that's with all my hunting stuff upstate. But uh, next episode, I'll showcase that one. Um, Also, Bare Knuckle Performance, bareknuckleperformance.com for all of the highest quality made in America parts for your Harley Davidson. All models. Check him out. He also does Indian stuff now too. Um, I'm going to talk to uh, these people and try and get something on board for the 100th. But Oh, and also uh, the Bump Shop Diaries, bumpshopbackroom.com for any of your Crazy Gentleman merch. And all of Evo Jesus's awesome vintage finds. Uh, also Lexin-Moto.com. Uh, for all of the best audio and communication devices inside your helmet for a high-quality enhanced riding experience and punching the code word crazy for 15% off. Now, to get back to that 100th episode thing, um, first person on board uh, and a new sponsor of the podcast uh, is Kenny's House of Horsepower in Phoenix, Arizona. And he's throwing down $1,000 for the 100th episode. Uh, Stipulations are one very simple stipulation. You have to be a Patreon member. 
Um, I think I barely have 10 Patreon members right now. So your chances currently, if you are a member, are very, very good. Uh, you have to be a member by the 100th episode. Like I said, this is episode 91. You have nine weeks to become a member. Go be a member. Um, there's going to be tons of other giveaways. I've already done a raffle where you it's buy one, get one. I'm currently still raffling my 2000 twin cammed FXR4. That is also buy one, get one free for Patreon members. Uh, please go sign up. Also, before this 100th episode, I will have more people on board. I never wanted to under, I never wanted to over promise and under deliver. Um, but this is the third thing that is being given away for Patreon members, th third perk or whatever. Um, also, if you're a business and you want to sponsor the podcast, jump on board, go on Patreon, jump on there. Give me a call. Shoot me a DM. Get in touch with me. Let's talk about it. You can get involved however you want. Uh, I, I'm flexible to all kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, I, I want to uh, do something even more special like to the point where who knows who the hell is going to get on board even for a one-shot kind of deal for this 100th episode. But I kind of want to give a lot of stuff away even if it's just like t-shirts and stickers. Uh, from sponsors and all that. Uh, I have not even talked to any of these sponsors about this yet. Kenny's the first guy I spoke to, but before next week's show, I am going to be contacting a lot more people about something simple. Maybe it's a gift card. Maybe it's a free particular part. I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. I don't ask anything personally of these sponsors, anything that they want to give. Um, I want to just give it all back to you guys. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much more to say about that. But please go uh, jump on board, man. And if you don't jump on board as a Patreon, uh, please, whatever platform you're listening to on, uh, give me a good rating. Like, subscribe, uh, give me five stars, give me whatever stars you think I'm worth. But any good rating helps. Uh, gets me in the search algorithm. Um, and if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Please like, comment, whatever. Whatever you do, go on there. Do it. Uh, but also, seriously, the YouTube subscription is another big deal. Just subscribe to it. It's free. Anyone can do that. Um, but that also helps in uh, my journey toward monetization. Um, like I said, I'm not really taking anything from this. Uh, whatever I get goes back to you guys. Uh, from the beginning, I promised that I'll somehow deliver on stuff. And I think a thousand dollars is a pretty good start and buy one, get one on a hundred dollar raffle tickets. Like potentially you could win uh, a twin cam FXR4 that is absolutely fucking gorgeous, uh, with a, with a crazy ass twin cam in it. Um, it's a sick freaking bike. You can win that for a hundred bucks, and it's a and buy one get one on that. You could potentially win that and a thousand dollars for like nothing, dude. It starts at five dollars a month. Um, you know, uh, the last kid won a fucking one thirteen S and S for fifty dollars. I mean, that's it's pretty sick. I don't I don't know anyone I don't know anyone else out there 
doing this with, uh, let's be honest, with such a little following, I'm, I'm definitely a small fish in this big pond uh, that's giving away this much stuff, that's bringing this much to the table. Um, yeah, and, and I don't know, I don't know, man. Go, I think it's a good deal, and uh, I wish everyone the best of luck that gets in on this. Because uh, I'm pretty thrilled, man. I think it, I, I'm, I can't wait to give it all away at, at this 100th episode, uh, whatever I drum up. I'm hoping by the 100th episode, too, I could do the drawing on this bike. Um, I've been really quiet about the bike. I only made one post about it. But uh, I'm going to be, uh, this is my last weekend away in the woods, and I'm just going to be home and just doing more uh, local podcasts or whatever I could do in one or two days travel. Like whether it's a car trip or a fly, nothing crazy. I'm going to be semi laying low until uh, Mama Tribe. That's the next like big thing I'm flying to. So uh, I don't know, man. I'm hoping by this 100th I could give it all away. Give a fucking bike away. Give, uh, uh, give, give the $1,000 away. See what else, whoever else wants to bring something to the table. I don't know, man. I'm going to be making those phone calls this week. We'll see. But uh, have at it, man. I wish you guys all the best of luck. And... Uh, Enjoy Liam. He'll set the record straight on what his actual title is because I am definitely, definitely screwing that up. Uh, Enjoy. See you guys next week. Thanks so much for your support too. It's crazy that we're coming up on 100 episodes here. See you. Cool, man. We're fucking live at five here. Um, Yeah, dude, Liam Kennedy. Man. You want to cut to the chase and tell people uh, who you are and what you're all about? So my name's Liam Kennedy. I'm 30 years old. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a full-time uh, photographer and photojournalist and documentary photographer. Awesome. That was uh, that was pretty to the point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're in. We're just outside of Nashville. Yeah. Um. You said you're from Indiana. Yeah. I uh. Moved all around the country as a child, and um, I ended up in Indiana, and then I joined the military, and ended up all over the world, and then uh, I got out in March of 2020, March 26, 2020, my last day, as the literal world shut down. Talk about time. Yeah, so I got to party for a whole year. Cool. And the whole two years without really having a job, and... um, Did you plan on, when you got out, taking off? Like, I just, yeah, I was, I was living in Virginia at the time. Um, and honestly, I wanted to move to Richmond. Um, lots of love for Virginia, Richmond area. I'm big. I I was born on the East coast and I lived in the East coast and my parents are from the East coast. So the East coast is home to me really. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was talking to this woman at the time and she lived in Seattle. So you know, I, st- I left for Seattle, but, you know, by the time I got here, which is literally one day later, all of Seattle was shut down because of COVID and nobody knew what was going on. And I showed up to my buddy Christian Wren's house with five tall cans because one burst on my sissy bar. Um, and he convinced me to stay this summer in Nashville, which turned into getting a job at a bar here, which turned into getting a journalism job here, which turned into buying a house here. Right. So I moved into the house that I bought on the three-year anniversary of moving to Nashville. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 
But um, your photojournalism journey started before that in the military, right? Yeah, I was a combat camera in the Navy. Um, Wait, that's what you did for the Navy too? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I, know I you did that. Like, yeah, that was a job. Uh, somebody's got to do the propaganda, baby. <laughs> right. uh, but uh, the idea is that you tell the Navy story. That's the whole shtick, okay. right? And so I joined the Navy at when I was a junior in high school. I signed up for the Navy because I was getting in a lot of trouble as a kid, and my parents didn't know what to do with me, and my dad was a Navy recruiter for a long time and was in the Navy for eight years as well. So they sent my ass to the military, and then three weeks after I graduated high school, I left the military. I wanted to do video originally because I grew up as a skateboard videographer. I filmed um, for uh, some companies growing up, and I was sponsored by the local skate shop, and... Navy absolutely ruined my love for video. Okay. So I, uh, but I found out that I was really great at making pictures. So I uh, delved really heavy into that. And when I fell in love with journalism was when I was on my first deployment. We were in Hong Kong. We had been there for 24 hours and we got recalled to the boat because there was a typhoon in the Philippines. Typhoon Haiyan happened in 2013 on the uh, island of Gion, on, um, in the city of Gion. Um, can't remember if it's the island or the city, but it was on Gion. And it, uh, it, was, it was fucking horrible, man. And it was, um, I was... Where, where did they send you guys for safety? We, I was on a, well, I was on an aircraft carrier. We were on air, we were, I was on the USS George Washington. While the whole fucking storm was Well, yeah, but in Hong Kong, we weren't feeling it. So we, we, we went to the aftermath to, to support... Um, to give supplies, water, you know, uh, clothing, like whatever we could do, food. And um, I went up to my um, assistant public affairs officer. I was like, I want Lieutenant Derek Ingle. And I said, I want to go down there. I want to go and photograph. I want to do this. I didn't really know what I was asking. But, like, I went there and made good photos. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, I, I was the first photographer on the ground. So I felt like I actually did something to help these people because therefore CNN, Fox News, New York Times, MSNBC, my photos went all over the world. Really? Yeah. So does that the way that works would be you you get first crack at it before even those news networks show up? Well, because the island we had a classified airbase there that we had to declassify once it happened that we had used during World War II. So they weren't allowing any other news organizations in within the first 24 hours. Okay. I was, I'm military, so therefore I was allowed to go there. I was allowed to be on those lines. At least that's how I understand it, and I could be wrong, but that's how I understood it at the time. Okay. And um, it was a big deal, and those photos were a big deal, and I, I won awards for those photos and yada, yada, yada. But what I, and I could give a fuck less about that, but what I cared about was that I actually did, I felt like I did something to help. Okay. Outside of my duties of being in the Navy. And, um, you know, I quickly made, like, second class. I got accepted to this program called the Syracuse Photojournalism Program through the military that was set up originally by John F. Kennedy in the 60s, uh, where we send um, two to three from each branch of our best photographers to Syracuse University in upstate New York to learn photojournalism you take the uniform off for a year wow. and you're still paid at your rank you're paid housing allowance you're paid to be a student right 
but you work you're working alongside some of the best in the industry. For instance, one of my professors was Gregory Heisler, who has seventy covers for Time Magazine. Wow, that's wild. Like, um, and was that your first time actually getting like a a formal education in? Uh, yes. Photography, journalism. Well, uh, no. So you have to go through a six-month school, which is now seven months, <clears throat> and you have to learn uh, Associated Press writing style. You have to learn photography basics. You have to learn video basics. You have to learn graphic design, web design, video editing. You have to learn a lot of shit. Okay. And it's like a 33, 40% fail rate from that school. Wow. Like, it's pretty high for, <clears throat> for just a basic school. Mm-hmm. Um, that's called an A school. And if you graduate that, then you would go what's called the fleet. You go out into the fleet with your rank. I was a mass communication uh, specialist seaman, is what my rank was. MCSN. So I get there. I make third class first time. And then, so I made third class in two years. Or I made second class in two years, which is hard. And then I stayed there for, the, or three years, and then I stayed there for the next five. Okay. Because first class and above is really hard to get to. Okay. All the people I was in with are now chiefs, senior chiefs, kind of deal. Did you consider doing a full career? No. Okay. Max I wanted to do was eight years, but um, I had a lot of surgeries to my leg. Okay. From injuries sustained in the Navy as well as injuries sustained skateboarding. Okay. Um, Obviously, the skateboarding ones were insidious injuries or what they call them, so they form over time. But the Navy made it worse. It exacerbated those where... Mm -hmm. I had to go on a full deployment with a torn ACL. Wow. Which therefore led to me having to get a surgery for that, which led to needing a hip surgery where I'll need a hip replacement in the next 10 years God kind damn. of deal. And I'm 30 years old. Wow. Um, so I was medically discharged from the military, and that was my end of my career. Okay. Damn, dude. So I actually didn't have a choice <clears throat> right. to stay in or not. Wow. Um, so... Where did motorcycles interject? Like, if we're out of the Navy now. No, so motorcycles happened in the Navy. (laughs) No, no, no. Motorcycles happened in the Navy. Okay. Um, So I I found... I I met this guy named Sean Minea, who introduced me... This is going to sound so fucking insane. Sons of Anarchy. Like, I never... I didn't know anything about motorcycles. And I was like, wow, this show's kind of cool. I just fucking... 20 years old. Right. And I didn't know shit. I grew up in a cornfield, so I'm like, okay, like, this is kind of cool. And, but, growing up, skateboarding, I was introduced to Rick Swadner and Ben Jeff in Fort Wayne. I would go there skateboarding all the time, and I remember when I was, like, 18 or 19, I went to Rick's shop and saw what a chopper was. So I knew what choppers were. I rode around on iron heads and stuff like that, and I had, like, this idea of that. But then I had, like, I was living in Japan at the time, so I was, like, very homesick for something and motorcycles is the most American thing I could really like think about and it was just a thought at that time I never bought one I didn't and I moved to San Diego okay and I'm on a deployment and I met this guy named Norm and Norm got me into choppers okay and Norm and I talked a lot about it and Norm and I like would discuss and look at bikes and he showed me like you know Paco's website he showed me a bunch of different bikes and chop cult is what he introduced me to Okay. What is Norm anyone of notoriety or was no. he just a random guy that was into random choppers? Random guy who was just into choppers and he worked in the, he was a culinary specialist and he worked in the officer's mess so I got really, to get fed really good and you know, and we just like 
hung out all the fucking time, and we'd go on Liberty together, and he was just my boy while I was in. Cool, man. I haven't talked to him in a really long time. I don't know where he's at. Well, he's not an internet guy. Maybe he'll be watching this. Not an internet guy. No, not an internet guy. Okay. I don't know. Um, you never know. Norm, hit him up. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy bastard. And uh, and then it slowly devolved from there, like looking at Chopcoal a lot, and then getting into Dice Magazine, and then seeing 21 Days Under the Sky. And then... Um, you know, I had this crazy, like, long ironhead chopper at the time that I bought on after a deployment, and I didn't know shit all about it, and the first person I meet is Tetro in San Diego. It's the first person that I'm introduced to, which I don't know if you know who Tetro is. No, I thought at first when you said that name it was someone he else, is, but I don't know. He is a god for a lot of people who love ironheads. He holds a land speed record for a single-cylinder ironhead. Really? 500cc ironhead. He holds a land speed record at Bonneville. Wow. Um... Just crusty old bastard, famous YouTube guy, because he shows you how to fix everything. Uh, so I'd have to go to a shop, and I'd hold cameras, and he'd yell at me the whole time, and tell me what I was doing wrong, and he'd fix my bike, and he'd give me good discounts, and he'd just help me out. And he just showed me the way. Okay. So that's how I got really deep into this shit. Cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you dope deep. We could touch back on that, man, but like one of the things I wanted to ask you about was... Uh, what was the real spark of interest for you to start traveling the world as, uh, I keep on in my head, I'm thinking citizen, but uh, what the fuck do they call it when you're not enlisted anymore? A civilian? A civilian, not a citizen. Well, well <laughs> Yeah, I've, like, because you did a lot of these overseas things, and didn't you go to the Middle East or Ukraine and, I went and to, do your own thing? Right, yeah, I went, I, I dot, when the war happened, I went with a friend over to Ukraine and photographed. How, and, how was that, man? Uh, I there, it'd be hard to discuss it in okay. any sort of context because it's like nothing that you've ever experienced. It's full out war and it's awful and it's truly fucking terrible. And what makes me angry is when people think it's fake right. because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen women who are my mom's age, you're fucking in basements and eating out of whatever fucking rations they had left, and you know, and it's really just a shame that um the sovereignty of another nation could be politics aside the sovereignty of another nation could be so brutally um invaded and disregarded you know like what what would happen if you think that fucking mexico just invaded texas tomorrow right. what would you think if out of nowhere another state invited invaded another state right. or another country canada came down and invaded us you know what would people do what would you do right. you know politics aside right Right. And beyond that, like, I'm really grateful for the experience. I want to go again. And I was able to tell some really beautiful stories. And I was really able to um, make some beautiful photographs that I think really helped. It was actually, uh, my photographs are, one of my photographs is featured in uh, the book Ukraine, a war crime, uh, published by Photo Evidence. Cool. Uh, that's with an F. So F O T O Evidence. Um, Svetlana, uh, just beautiful person all around. And, um, Editor uh, Sarah Lean from Nat Geo uh, pu- like created the book and published it, and awesome. it just we like all the photographers collectively won Book of the Year award. Wow! Yeah, that's so cool. If I feel like they got that out real quick too. Uh, less than a year. It took a year, so wow. it was a lot of footwork on their end. And I have the book inside. I'll show you. It's truly, it's beautiful. Cool, man. What other um, what other like uh, bigger like books? Let's say besides magazines, you've been in Dice and tons yeah. of magazines. 
But um, what other bigger books have you been published in? So I've been published in a lot. That's my first um, book per se that I, I've been published in. Uh -huh. um, I've done zines and stuff like that with one of my buddies, Warren. And um, but I've been published in a lot of news publications. I worked for Gannett, which is USA Today Network. Okay. So I've been published in USA Today. I've been published in Tennessee, and I've been published in you know some smaller local papers. Um, also, I've been published by like CNN, published by, uh, you know, uh, World News Tonight, been published by uh, Mother Jones Magazine, um, uh, fuck, what else, Bloomberg, uh, you name it. Damn. So I've been published by a lot of different people. I didn't realize the scope of all of, like the diversity of magazines you've been in. Yeah. I just always think motorcycles when I think you. you motorcycles know. are what I'm passionate about, but it's not what pays my bills. I do commercial work. I've done commercial work for like Ralph Lauren and stuff like that and uh, a bunch of other little things here and there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll really whatever pays the bills, man. Mm -hmm. Like I've acted in commercials and I've photographed on commercials and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so really when it comes to motorcycles, uh, for the last eight years I've been working on a book called Shakedown, where I've traveled on my blue bike, I traveled uh, 60,000 miles across the United States photographing um, and documenting. And uh, I am finally starting to design the book with this beautiful designer named Bonnie Bryant, who's one of the top designers in America right now for photo books. Um, she's worked with Magnum Foundation and she's worked with your, your photographer's favorite photographer kind of deal. Just amazing amazing work and she does freelance work now um so so that's where i'm at with that and we're hoping to have to go to find a publication who will back us we've been in talks with several but we're finding one that's going to be excited about the project the way my, me and my agent are excited about the project cool man is she also based in nashville or? she's based in new york city okay that seems to be where like all of the big publishers are, right? New York City is kind yeah, of rock bed for culture, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's um the hotbed for that kind of stuff. There just is more of a market there. There's um, a lot of nuances that I don't really understand, but a lot of publishers seem to be either out of New York, and there's not everyone. Like I'm more aiming towards like European and Japanese publishers as well because the Americana side right. of what I do. But we'll see. Just want to find someone who's excited about it as we are. That's right. all. Have you ever lived in New York? Uh, I lived in upstate New York when I was a child. I lived in this place called Florida, New York. Okay. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. It's yeah. like Orange County. You're the only person I've ever met that actually knows where that is. But I've kind of, I've kind yeah, of. Yeah, I lived there when I was. I lived there when I was a kid. Okay. And then, um, so I grew up down the street from Orange County Choppers. Yeah. And then uh, I went to school at Syracuse University. But other than that, I would probably never live in New York City. If I yeah. could help it, I just—it's not my thing. Okay, yeah, I, I figured maybe as a as a younger guy, maybe my younger the years city went thing to as a photographer. No, my younger years went to Uncle Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, how and you said twenty twenty is when you got out, so you've been out for just three years, a few years now. Three years. Cool, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yo, get back to that book though. Uh, Sixty thousand miles on that fucking chopper. Yeah. Um, any like highlights, lowlights? Like, was it? Has Man, this been a childhood dream? Or was no, I was that... never into bikes as a kid. I, I mean, making I'd... a book. Oh no! It, it it started when I was like in my early twenties when I found out you could do that, and then recently, you know, I've I've studied under people like Ed Kashi and Jane, and uh, 
and uh, Alan, Alex Webb and uh, James Estrin and fuck man like some really incredible photographers and some incredible bookmakers you know I've had the, the privilege of being able to study under and um, you know like uh, I, I want to make an indelible mark on the world and I want to put out work there I think the reason why I love motorcycles so much is that they're physical mm-hmm. you put on this, this physical thing into the world then therefore now you have to take care of and you become a steward of and then somebody else takes care of it and becomes a steward of it and hopefully it passes down through generations like Dougie's bike uh, one of the original Hell's Angels um, you know you know um, that's the dream that's that's what I love and I think photo books for me are equally as important because it is a physical thing you're putting out in the world that somebody will display proudly in their home right. or it's a physical thing that somebody can flip through and gain inspiration for their own life or gain style tips or gain something of value to their life mm-hmm. out of art art is so incredibly important and you know um that's why choppers are so incredibly important because they're an art form you know yeah it's my favorite art form it's one of my favorites yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh yeah also the the photo thing man like I mean, no offense to any the videographers or anything. I mean, I'm doing a video now, but like, man, the older I get, the more, the more I just appreciate the value of quality photography mm-hmm. and like and, and photojournalism. Right. It's I, I don't know, man. It's one of my favorites next to yeah. next to motorcycles. The older I get, I start right. really. I'm starting to dive into this. Right. You, you know? gain a greater greater appreciation, and it's so much deeper than just like. A lot of people say like they take photos, they shoot photos, whatever. I say I, I make images, and that sounds pretentious until you really start valuing it as something that you're creating. Right. When you frame up your image, when you're looking through your viewfinder and choosing your background, choosing your subjects, photographing, listening to what that person is telling you, and then photographing in an honest way that is is you know uh, represents who and what you're photographing. Um, editing your photos and that doesn't mean like in Lightroom or Photoshop that's not what editing means in my world what it means is selecting images that play off of each other to create the story mm. so you come back with 500 images how do you choose those 10, 10 images that are going to to make a mark right how, do you, how do you curate that to the how world? do you right and and there's a lot of ideas and but the more you do it the better you get you know, you don't choose the same shoot shot over and over again. You move it. You want people to have to adjust their eyes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think that's what's so beautiful about photography for me is that there is no, um, there is no way where I could be stagnant. <clears throat> I have to continue improving. I have to continue getting better. There's so much to learn. And there's a, that's an art form also that you could spend a lifetime evolving. And, and it's ne- there's never any like... Uh, finish line per se it's just a constant evolution well it's beautiful to see people like martin parr who's one of my favorite photographers uh you know he's been photographing since what 60s maybe earlier right i mean he's still photographing today he's still working on projects today like that's beautiful to me yeah um you know you have all these really incredible photographers outside of motorcycles that i think if people looked into would it would just elevate their their creativity even more right you know? do you feel like um when you travel around the world and there's a communication barrier like in the ukraine you're not speaking their language right. uh, that i know of 
No, I don't. I don't speak any. I don't speak <laughs> Ukrainian or Russian. I speak a tiny bit of German, and I speak like three sentences of Japanese. But because okay. I studied in Germany as a kid, uh, I was an exchange student in high school, and then I uh, I lived in Japan for two years. Right. So, um, I, or like Japan is another example. Like I just did a I just did a podcast, not even out yet, but um, with three guys from Japan. Um, you probably know one of them, Steel Dog Photography. Yeah, I know of Steel Dog, yeah. Yeah, um, he was one of the guys. But um, when you're trying to, let's just say, uh, create your art or whatever to, to show the world, what do you encounter like in terms of uh, communication barrier? Like how do you fucking tell someone, uh, you know, just like, I, I don't know. I just picture coming in there as a photographer and you're trying to communicate with these people like, what you want but you don't speak the language uh so or does, does the camera can, break that barrier no right? well it's Do people kind of know so i grew up skateboarding and traveling a lot for skateboarding within the united states and then when i left the united states for like uh i mean i was in germany but i didn't have my skateboard with me but so when i was in um japan for instance uh if i went to a skate park we all could communicate in a way because we skateboarded. Right. Um, and that really taught me a lot of lessons. Learning how to communicate with people without speaking their language is possible. You know, phones still work. Right. You know, right. you can translate loosely off of there. I have a conversation through people with my phone, you right. know. Uh, I've hired translators before. No shit. Yeah. I mean, you hire people. Um, when you in, went to the Ukraine, did you have translators? I, I, I would hire fixers is what they're called. Fixers or collaborators or production assistant however you want to phrase it okay right so i would hire people like politicians or other journalists or you know people who just wanted to help pay them a day rate and we go out and i'm telling them this is the story i want to tell and they go and help me find the cast the characters that i need and the people that i need to speak to and we try we attempt gotcha yo when you went to the ukraine was it wilder or uh was it wilder than even you expected no, it's war. No. <laughs> well, right. I, I understand that, but like with your background, you've been in a lot of fucked up situations right, around the but world. I, but I've never been to war out in the military. I never went to war in the military. I was on boats. Okay. I wasn't like one of these fucking, you know, hard as nails Marines invading Iraq and Afghanistan or, you know, I would never take credit for something I never did like that. Mm. I never did that shit. Right. You know, I, I photographed natural disasters while I was in. That's what I did. Right. You know, was in Puerto Rico when I got hit. You know, Philippines, whatever. Was um, there, was there but, anything different about the dynamic doing that as as a civilian? As yeah, opposed to- I didn't have as much support as I thought I could get. Okay. You know, and then you you're in all these, and then you got to deal with what we call the war bros. You know, people these dudes who are war photographers who go over there and think their shit doesn't stink, and you have to deal with those guys, and you know they don't know who you are. So they're protective because they want to get the shot equally as much as you do or whatever the fuck they're out there for. So you have to deal with the nuances of that. And, you know, my my thing is, like, just, you know, you be as nice to everyone as humanly possible until you can't be. Right. And at that point, just leave them alone because you're not going to change their fucking mind. Right. And getting into a fight with them, you know, isn't going to do anything. Um, so you just move on. You make your photos. You let your work do the talking. You don't fucking peacock with right. people. Um, so, yeah, it was wild. There was a lot of things I wasn't expecting. There was a lot of things I was naive to. There was a lot of things I learned. Um, 
but you learn those things, you atone for the things that you wish you could have done better, and you move on and you learn from your mistakes. Do you did uh, did you get involved at all in the Japanese chop culture while you were there? Dude, I was not into choppers at all when I lived in Japan. I lived thirty minutes from the Moon Eye Show. It's my big, the oh, biggest regret my of my god, life, dude. Yep. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's wild, man. So that wasn't even on your radar. Nope. Fuck. I was too busy going to hardcore shows and fucking going clubbing and doing whatever the fuck, getting all my because you I could drink in Japan at twenty. Okay. So I was getting all my fucking crazy out. Yeah, it's a good place to it do took it. Took ten years, but <laughs> somewhere better now. But yeah, that was that was the deal there. Yeah. God damn, man. So I'll get back to the book, man. We're jumping around like crazy here, but um, yeah. So what was what was some of the highlights of that trip, man? Was it solo and just touch and go with friends and people you wanted to meet up with along nope. the way? It was a lot of little runs. It was a lot of events. It was a lot of um runs with my friends and the only solo trip I did was a 7,000 miles solo on that blue bike. Um, the reason I got into motorcycles first and foremost was I never owned a wrench until I was 22 years old. Never touched a wrench. I think and you told me that. Yeah, trucks. yeah, never, never touched a wrench until I was 22 years old and the idea was that maybe this thing could lead me to more independence in my life. Okay. So when I did that 7,000 miles solo, what I realized was that I am capable it's not about being mechanically inclined. It's about being proficient enough to listen to when other people are speaking to you. It's it's about reading the material. It's about knowing your bike. It's about all these things. It's about relying on yourself at the end of the day and that no one's coming to save you. So how do you get yourself out of the situations? It's taught me how to be more patient. It's taught me how to be um, more expeditious. It's taught me a lot of different things in my life that I think I was severely lacking. Okay. So... Um, and that, and you know, I'm proud of who I've become because of motorcycles. Very cool. I'm assuming it's a pretty much a lifetime addiction at this point. I'd say so. You're pretty fucking balls deep in it. I probably won't be as, <laughs> I don't know. I've pulled back a lot recently from going to shows or going to events or I just like riding. Yeah. And I like concocting things in my head and coming up with ideas and different, you know, bikes that I could get into like to pass the time but for me it's more like you know it's something extremely personal and I don't think it's for everyone and I don't believe everyone should own a motorcycle dude me too and I, I believe that for me it is something that you know I've made lifelong friends in and I, I owe a lot to it I just don't think some people are into it like that which yeah. is fine but you know, and that's that's how we buy cheap bikes and flip them. But yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. I just owe a lot to motorcycles, and I think I stopped. I realized at some point that I too was I was peacocking a little bit, trying to be like this guy and on the scene, and right. And, and it just drove me fucking crazy at the end of the day. And I and I've had to pull back a lot because I, what I really do enjoy is just riding and hanging out with people who are my friends and not people who are party friends. You yeah. Know, growing up a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, I like that, man. There's been many years in my life where I fucking kissed all the events goodbye. And I mean, there's been many times where I've just hit the road coast yeah. to coast solo. I, you know, I only got social media with this podcast. Right. So I was kind of a ghost for years, man. There's nothing wrong with that. Social no, media it's is a fucking, fucking best, dude. Social media is a 
fucking to- is toxic wasteland. <laughs> it fucking... is, but it's unfortunate that it's the lifeblood of businesses now. But it I, is. I agree. I'd be happy enough without it. You know, it's ju- it's the lifeblood of this. You know, it's yeah. It's just the world we're living in, man. I suppose, you know? yeah, you can get with it or get lost, but yeah, you know, I um, you gotta be relevant. And I and I, underst- I understand that. I mean, like, I have an acute addiction to social media, so it's like I understand. Yeah, I'm trying not to, but you know, trying and doing are two different things. Um, that makes the two of us. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like, but I think you know, recently I've become more aware and conscious of it. So that's yeah. that's what's helping me now. Is like, okay, well, you know, I'm aware this is happening. So how do I not be this way? Right, right. I stay pretty busy, so. Yeah, it's a tough thing to manage because it is easy to just get fucking hooked, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it is what it is. And, you know, it's not for everybody. It is for some people. And some people make beautiful careers off of it and good for them. Yeah. But um, for me, I found, you know, I'm I'm trying to make more meaningful professional relationships. And I just don't think that's really possible on, on Instagram. Because it seems like everybody's trying to leapfrog over each other to the next best person. Right. That that clout chase almost. So, for me, it's um. For me, I just don't give a fuck now. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I'm I have meaningful relationships with editors, and uh, I'm you know building a product outside of the internet, and I think that's equally important to when it, it's brought to the internet. It's more sustainable that way. Okay. Yeah, what do you? Th- that's another. That's another one that I'm kind of fascinated with is guys that are wanting to start up these smaller zines now, like in a world of dying print media. Yeah, like it's like records. Right. You know, right. everybody wants a take. That's the thing is, I I think, you know, we live in this digital age and think tangible things are just better. They last longer. They're on your mind more when you can go over a rack. Like I have a bookshelf in my room full of photo books that I'm inspired by. Mm-hmm. And it's nice because I don't look at them every day. I don't look at them every month. Sometimes I'll just pull one out, just flip through it for 20 minutes. Yeah. Just, maybe I'll see something that catches my eye, some inspiration. You can't do that with the internet because you're like, oh, what's that person's name? Oh, they changed their Instagram name. I can't find them anymore. And then it's just whatever. Right, right. You know, but if you have something physical, you have you have that. You own it. You you have it. Yeah. And I don't I don't like the internet for that reason. Yeah, for sure. You can't put the internet on your fucking coffee table when you're gonna have a party. Right. Like you right, know, you just, just can't. You just can't do it. You can't. You know, and if you do want to dive into the internet at a party, it generally ruins the moment. And I hate to tell you too, a lot of people just don't. You know, a lot of art galleries, for instance, just don't give a fuck how many followers they have. They want to be able to sell your work. Right. And sometimes it helps if you're like legitimately but a lot of people buy their shit and it's shady and it's weird so do, do you say that as a bad thing like meaning that they're not giving the artist their their due exposure no that's or, not what I'm saying at all I'm saying what I mean is like there's still areas of this world that you have to work for if you want to you know you have to show people a physical product in order Right. To be someone. Right. And you got to put in the work. You got to put in the work. And, yeah. you know, and I think Instagram is a lot of work, but it's also, it's like, I don't think that, you know, I don't like giving my photos out to people because they're very special, fond memories that I have that I might use for something else. Right. I try to give as many photos as I can, but there's a lot of photos in this book that people don't even know that I have of them. Right. And not in a bad way, like, they're beautiful photos. Right. And I'll let them know when the time comes, but, like, 
you know, I don't think photography is for everyone. I don't think art is for everyone. I think everyone should have access to it. Right. But, you know, it's all style. You know, it's not. Some people just don't give a fuck, and that's fine. Right. My stuff is for people who care, and that's why I don't post all the time. Right. Yeah, dude, I, I couldn't... No, it totally makes sense. I couldn't agree more. Um, not that I'm a photographer, but I always said if I wanted to be an Instagram whore, I'd probably have one of the cooler Instagrams out there. But... I keep that shit too close to my heart, man. Like, moments like this. I, I mean, I have to post some photos when episodes come out and shit. But, like, I, I mean, for you as a photographer, you're you're kind of giving away tools in your toolbox. If you're just giving out all these fucking photos. You know, you're, you're showing your cards in a sense. Right. Like, and also, this is your love, dude. You have to hold it close to your heart. Right. You know, you can't just... You right. can't just fucking water it down. No. You know? like Because then, well, who the fuck is going to want to buy a book from me when they've seen all the photos on Instagram? Correct. What the fuck is that about? Correct. You know? Like, I want people to be surprised. I want people to feel giddy to remember that moment again. Yeah. But, you know, some people don't agree with me, so that's fine. No one's ever going to agree with you. Or anyone, for that A majority matter, of people you know? do not agree with me most times, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, uh, when do you think this book is going to see the light of day? Uh, between one and two years from now. Okay. But the the submitted photographs are done already. It's yeah, not yeah. like you're well, still I, making this book. I, kind of. I'm still making images, but, like, they have to be fucking stellar to get in the book now. Okay. Like, they have to be something that, like, I have, like, a very small shot list. Yeah. And if I get those fucking happy but I'm not really worried about it because the idea is not to convey look at all these tough fucking bikers blah, blah. I'm conveying the sensitivity behind it the camaraderie behind it the brotherhood behind it the artistic uh, nuance and ability behind it the things that people don't fucking see and unless you're in it and you're present you'll never see Yeah. so this is not a voyeurism project this is something where I am, I'm showing people something different. This is not, this is, no, this is as if Danny Lyons continued the bike riders kind of deal. Like, how would that be conveyed? In a way that's not one percenter related or like super violent, but, you know, how is this, how is this appropriate? Right. You know, to a modern world that's growing and how is this flying in the face of technology? Right. Dude, I think so many of those things that you had said, um, it's so fucking undervalued. It's so underestimated and overlooked. The importance of all this shit is it's not really so much the motorcycle. Right. That all of that other stuff is the value, man. Right. I, I just, you know, I feel like just too many people overlook that. They do. But um, I think, but that's fine. It's just like anything else. You know, you see a subculture from afar and you just see it for what it is and you're like, oh, okay, well, there, there, there those guys go. Right, right. You know, whatever, man. But, you know, you learn about it, you grow with it and you start to develop this, this feeling, you know, where it becomes more than that, you know, right. it becomes something that's really meaningful to you. Yeah, yeah. I think all of that stuff too uh, is so fucking important to uh, our psyche as men. There's, I don't know, man. There's just something, I don't know. It, it seems to hit something primal in me. Well, um, it's um, 
Well, it, it kind of goes along, you know, I talk with Nick Rusty a lot about this, and um, it kind of goes along with uh, Sebastian Junger's book on basically, like, Sebastian Junger wrote this book called Tribe, and he ba it basically talks about how it's missing from modern society and why we need these tribes, why we need a group of people, the community behind it. And I'm infatuated with, like, you know, the idea of masculinity and what it really means. And, you know, um, not not so much, like, terms people throw in, like, toxic masculinity or, you know, um, or any other, like, derogatory term towards it. But but what well, it means... Fuck those people. What it well, actually well, means. Well, yeah, well yeah. you know, like, I understand what they're trying to say, but they're going about it in the wrong way. And, you know, it's understanding that, like, you know, we're not the victim, you know, a lot of the times, but there are, you know, there's a reason why men have a, a large suicide rate. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why, you know, a lot of men are bred to not talk about their feelings, to not open up. But you notice when there's groups of men who have large circles of friends, or not large circles, but meaningful circles of friends, right? that's drastically reduced. There's other issues with it, but it's drastically reduced to where, you know, you have someone you can lean on. You have someone you can talk to. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's not so much that men don't want to talk about their feelings. I feel like they want to talk about someone who won't judge them for the way they feel. Right. Or won't see them as lesser than, or won't try to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. I think that is something, you know, important. Yeah. You know, and, and like that could be a whole other conversation. But, you know, I never had that growing up. Right. I was a loner. I was bullied for most of my life. I was an overweight redhead kid. Like, <laughs> during the time South Park's redhead episodes came out. Like, no not a great time in my life. <laughs> right, right. But I survived it. Right. Through a lot of depression and through a lot of um, alone time, that's when I found skateboarding. And that's when I really grew with that. And I felt like I found this community that understood me, you know. Um, you know, it's... I was like one of three kids in my town who skateboarded and then I moved to another town that had a skate park and then I actually grew with people that I liked. Right. Would you say that was a pivotal time is when you got to go to a place uh, with a skate park and find more of your well, people? Well, I always grew up around skate parks. I would always go to them but being five minutes from one, that was super pivotal. That's why I say I'm from Indiana because that's where I grew up a lot. Mm. That's where I truly grew up a little bit. When you first met Je uh, Ben Jeff, did he have his shop yet? So that's not actually, that shop does not belong to Ben. That belongs to Rick Swadener, his mentor. Oh. Um, and he was around, but he wasn't working out of the shop yet. Okay. Rick is a legend. Rick's the guy who built this bike. Okay. And um, old drag bike dude, you know, he's got kids my age. Um, but he's just like one of those guys who wants to pass down his knowledge, wants to show you, wants to build cool fucking bikes. I, it's just unfortunate he doesn't get the credit he deserves a lot of the time. That's why whenever I get a chance to yell his fucking names, I'll shit his name. I'll shout it from the rooftops. Yeah, he's just the fucking best, dude. Like, um, he didn't really want to do this three years ago, but <laughs> I bullied him and we made it happen. Um, and he's he, you know, there's a lot of him in this bike, so it's really fucking cool. It's so fucking rad, man. Another underestimated thing in this world, I think, is swing arm choppers. It's like like a bike like well, this. Well, or, I wouldn't even call this a chopper. It's a uh, it's what a would you call it's it? a Custom? hot rod. It's a hot rod. It's a muscle bike. Dude, it's I, it's a swing arm muscle terms bike. Are yeah. terms I use that I don't know why fucking that doesn't get picked up more. 
Well, it does. Motorcycles, but man. it's a it, it's something that's coming back around thanks to people like uh, Ben Jeff, thanks to Rick Swader, thanks to you know. Um, you seen Mikey from Nine Figures? Uh, his shovelhead. Yeah, Mikey's is great. I saw it. At Mama tried. It's it's fucking incredible. Uh, until we went other ways, I was gonna have him make some struts, but I kind of fell off. Sorry, dog. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, my buddy Christian Wren, fucking insane stroker panhead. Um, that's super tough. Um, you know, there's a lot of people I'm really influenced by. You know, uh, Carlo, uh, David Carlo, I believe he used. Or was it David Carlo? Who was the guy who? Scott Johnson just bought his bike. He was at um. Oh, uh, oh fuck! Wasn't David? It's not David Carlo. Sorry, no. sorry, David. Uh, like a hardcore New York City bike. Yeah, it, but like you know, I'm inspired <sighs> by old Hell's Angels bikes. I'm inspired by Pietro. Something with a P, man. Um. Oh, this is gonna kill me. Yeah, uh, here I'm gonna look up because I want to give I got a picture. I got a picture. I took a picture of the sign. Well, Scott Johnson just bought it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I just saw it. Something with a P. Of course, my internet doesn't work over here. Fuck, dude. I would go online. I would just scroll through my pictures. Yeah, but I got the camera. uh, That Godspeed dude. His Instagram's Godspeed. Cicero. His name's Cicero. Cicero. His name's Cicero. Yes, yes. Um, Cicero's bike. But like, I'm inspired by all of that. Yeah. Um, Did you have uh, Hell's Angels? You had mentioned that club in your area growing up. Like, nope. I didn't grow up around bikers. Well, I mean, as a kid, you see one and while you're nope. driving with your parents or something. Nope. You know? I mean, it's Indiana is not was not until recently a Hell's Angel territory as outlaws, but there was no chapter in our hometown. Okay, but the club um, style is another thing that really influenced. I love club style, but I found out through like a lot of um, uh, I found out through like Dice and other people and like you know um, vibes magazine. acquaintances. You ever get your hands on vibes? I've never got my hands on vibes. Okay. Um, but, like, that humongous custom cycle dude is just insane. And, like, a lot of people... I'm just inspired by a lot of different things. I'm inspired by paintings. I'm inspired by music. I'm inspired by motorcycles. Um, you know, um, Owlboy and I talked a lot about this bike. And a lot of my, you know, people that I really respect and I talked about this bike. And we went through a lot of changes. But, you know, it uh, ended up working out in the end. Fuck yeah. Yeah, three years worth, you said, right? Three, Two years of thinking and three years of action. So five years, technically. God damn. Yeah, I think you fucking nailed it. Thank you. God damn. Yeah. A lot of friends in this build. Fuck a lot yeah. of people I really love and respect in this build. Was a lot of that time parts collecting? or? Probably about two years parts collecting. Yeah. Yeah, it started, I bought, um, the, I bought, like, uh, my buddy Andrew won a Grossman raffle bike. And it was a generator shovel with a bunch of cool shit on it. But I sold all the parts but the motor and the title. And I had I used that money to basically fund a lot of this bike. And I like bought my frame from Ben Jeff. I had hard uh, John at Hardtail Choppers make me some stainless uh, drop seat castings and a windowed single down tube neck. Um, and then uh, Ben added a stainless top and forward motor mount for it to complete it and then um you know uh bought some stuff off oliver jones you know cal products four speed case i was unmolested that had never even been drilled so rick got that up 
and then a bunch of speed parts from Zylstra, uh, Zylstra, um, and more stuff from Ben Jeff, you know, kicker pedal, and then, you know, a bunch of different characters involved in this. But Rick was the main guy who did a lot of the fabrication, he did all the oil lines, he rebuilt the motor from the crank up. It's this 93-inch dual-plug generator shovel with a Super E and a Thunderjet on it. And it's fucking rad, dude. It's got a There's so much bunch little of, shit. You just keep looking, like, even just down to the hardware on a shot. Oh, it's all 12-point it's all ARP hardware as well. Fuck, uh, with all-performance machine uh, braking. Uh, two, you know, it's the two-piston style in the front and the rear with a panted swing arm, chrome nine-spoke mags. We tried to make it look as stock in as far away of stock as possible. So when you see me on the road, you're just like, oh, there goes a stock shovel head with some weird shit on it. Then you get up close. I wanted to be looking from five inches away, not five feet away. Right, right. Cool, man. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those bikes you can look at all day and keep mm-hmm. picking shit up on. Yeah. And then we, you know, Sunset and I came up with this uh, custom primary that's a half inch wider than normal primaries, but then to fit a two inch belt drive inside of it, but then on top of it, we made the cover a mix between a 60s um, shovel head primary and a Sportster uh, primary cover. Okay. So it's got the Sportster stripe with the shovel head circle on the rear. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, the primary is a wild one, man. It's like, I mean, it's just... Yep. And everything was show polished by uh, Al Fields in, in Virginia at Ice House Polishing. That dude is fucking insane yeah so good yeah i never met him but i do follow him on instagram yeah he is the best dude he's so fucking good yeah yeah but it's a fun bike man fuck yeah um you had said uh you don't you, you have several instagram accounts i have two. Oh, okay so i have my journalism one which is linked through my chopper chug one is the journalism one what's the name of it liam n kennedy and okay. is in november yeah okay um, is the journalism one completely separate from motorcycles and it's your other work? Absolutely. Like traveling the world and... Well, it's, I don't really travel the world so much per se, but I do document a lot of other things. That's where a lot of my more, my, my other photography comes out, storytelling and fine art and whatever I want to post kind of deal. But it's, it's less motorcycles. So if anybody wants a reprieve from motorcycles, you can go there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In terms of art galleries and stuff, uh, do you find Nashville to be a good city for that? Is there a lot of that going on here? I'm still navigating that landscape. Um, okay. I'm try- I, I'm actually sending portfolios into several galleries today to see if we can start getting something rolling. Um, but I uh, I am repped by a guy named Nick Cloutman in Los Angeles, okay. and he handles a lot of that. Recently, I just got... Um, I'm in Heart of Gold Gallery in uh, South Carolina, Mount Pleasant, uh, South Carolina. Cool. Is it like a, a one month thing with all of your work, or just no? You a can piece buy. You two? can buy my photography through there. Okay. Um, so I have this giant forty-four by forty print hanging in their window, forty-four inches. Yeah, yeah. So like th- larger it's than like four foot. Yeah, Al- almost. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Almost four foot. You know, four foot by three and a half foot. Fucking poster basically hanging in there but it's a fine art print what is it of 
It's of Josh Kahn uh, uh, racing okay. a flathead on the uh, beaches of New Jersey. Yeah. But he's doing this donut, and it's really cool photograph. Yeah, yeah. I love it. He's got a lot of good photographs out there. He's a very animated guy. He's very he's, he a, he's easy bike. to photograph. Yeah. He, he's easy to photograph. Super nice guy. Quiet, super easy to photograph. He's one of those people, like, there's not a lot of bad photos of him out there because he's just, he's about it. Yeah, he's super photogenic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Do you, you ever plan on owning a gallery for yourself? Is that a, another goal of yours? I never really thought about it. I don't know. I kind of would like to not do that. I'd like to continue being repped by other people uh-huh. because it's just easier. Um, like journalism work is through Redux Pictures. My fine art stuff is through Nick Cloutman. And, you know, um, the ideal thing is eventually I'll have a nice house one day where I'll have a nice garage with a separate photo space in there that I can kind of do my own thing in. But right now it's, you know, I have a garage I can kind of do minimal work out of. I can, you know, hang out. Enjoy my time. I have a printer out in San Diego that I absolutely love. Uh, Searcher's Press. Where I found him through Mikey Revolt. His name's Dan. He's awesome. But I don't know. I Just day by day at this point. I, I kind of this is a nice house, though. I love it. It's, it's not beautiful. like you're living in a shithole. Oh, no. I would never want people <laughs> yeah. to think that. I got, this is a nice place. We, we had to do a lot of work, and I'm really grateful to my friends, like uh, my boys at Artisan Construct. And, yeah. you know, a lot of those guys are my friends. And when they found out I bought a house, they offered up their services. So... You know, it's crazy if you pay your friends to come over and do what they get paid to do and shit gets knocked out in six weeks, man. Yeah. So, you know, that happened and we did a six-week renovation to the downstairs because the guy smoked two packs of cigarettes a day in it. And it was had probably six layers of lead-based paint and wallpaper everywhere. The Jeez. floors were all fucked up. It was a nightmare. Like, a bunch of structural damage that we had to fix. And, uh... You know, we were in here every weekend for six weeks getting it fucking pumped out and done. And then eventually I built out the inside of the garage with my buddy Caden. And then we, uh, and then my buddy Steve, uh, yeah, Steve Fargo came up here and we, um, we built the fence in the backyard. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Um, I, uh, wish I could say the same. I fucking hate working on my house. (laughs) <laughs> I love working on my house, man. Yeah. But it's like, because I, I like working on fun projects. I don't, I'm not quite to the point where I have to redo all my plumbing yet, but. That's why I hate it. Yeah, I've had to do, <laughs> I will have to, the guy who owned it was a plumber, so it's like the mechanic car. There's a bunch of fucky shit, but it works for now, so. Right. So, you know, if you don't fuck with it until it's actually broken, it won't get more fucked. Right. Um, but yeah, we, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that I've had to learn that, you know, I'm really fucking grateful for. You know? Yeah. I'm going to break one of my own rules here. I know you don't mind. I don't care. Um, That's fucking rad, dude. In terms of books, I, I keep wanting to pick up this book, but I don't want to, um, I don't want to, I guess, say, like, I don't want you to divulge too much, but, no, like, you're good. but like, what's some more shit? I, I'm fascinated by this book project of yours. Yeah. From the minute you talked about it at Dump Trucks. I keep saying dump trucks, but we were at Loretta's at yeah, Dump yeah. Trucks Camper. I, I really, from that day, I've been wanting to ask you more and more about it, man. Um, not that I have any real particular questions, but, like, what were what were some of the, uh, like, surprises on that trip? Like, you, you go well, on this journey. So it's eight years of work. So there's a lot of different surprises on that trip. 
uh, on on these trips. Trip. No, it's eight years of work. Ah. Oh. So it's in and out. You know, I one of the surprises was the first time I ever rode from Virginia Beach. I rode from Virginia Beach to Mexico on a cha- on a bike that you know was in pieces a week before, and I had to learn how to put everything back together. I got fucking some bad shit happened and fucking got all my shit back thankfully and you know got out of there and you know went back to my own garage and put everything together and left and uh that's when I felt like I was capable how old were you at that point it's 2019 so this is right after my this is like probably six months after my hip surgery so yeah, this is like 2019. I, got I just wanted to do the math on like when you had said you first picked up a wrench to when you did that for Four years. Damn. And I didn't own a bike for a year of that. I fucking love that, dude. Yeah. That's fucking awesome, man. I love that kind of story because there's so many people out there that are so afraid to even leave their county. Never right. mind on a bike. They yeah. just put together... And you just started swinging wrenches. Yeah, right? and uh, well, well, I wasn't even really awesome. swinging wrenches as much as that I was now, and I wouldn't even say I really swing wrenches at all, because mainly I rely on people like Jay Ryan and Sam Raps and a bunch of my friends to help Rick Swadener. But the thing was, is at that point I had um, I didn't really know much, and I just left on this trip. Like for better or for worse, I left on this trip, and then I burned up all my wiring. <laughs> or burned up some shit and let got stranded on the side of the road in Arizona for six hours. Had to sleep in a ditch with all my buddies. And then tow truck driver wouldn't help them out either. And it was just fucked. And we all... Uh, so after that trip, I was like, okay, I'm never going to feel that way again. My buddy Mike and Bruce, um, up in Illinois, who I was on the trip with, they were the ones who like fixed my bike. Okay. It's like, all right, I'm never going to feel that way again. So I packed a good tool roll now. I learned how to wire my bikes. I got home, and I got back from Grundle Run in 2019 and said, fuck this bike. So it was, so it had been, yeah, so it was like 2019 or 2018 when I did EDR. And I um, I pulled my bike apart because it was god fucking ugly at that time. And... You know, had it repainted, had the engine, the top end redone, you know, had a bunch of shit made for it. Like, it looked, you know, and that's when I learned how to reassemble the bike myself. I wired the bike myself. I learned how to do a wiring chart. I learned about my bike. I bought all the hardware. Like, I started learning. So when now I break down, I know exactly where everything is. Yeah. That's such a big part, too, of like what we were talking about is like growing as people. That whole self-reliance and taking full fucking ownership of all of your actions. And I, I think that stuff, at least maybe to the outside world, is so underestimated. Things that you have to... Skills you need to possess to survive in a world like this. Right. Well, like, the, le- the less... You know, I still have to rely on people, I think, because I don't... We all do. I same. don't know everything, you know, and I think knowing everything is half of people's problems when they think they know everything. But I I think for now, you know, I try to learn as much as possible, but I also know where my boundaries are. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I just want done right the first time. Right, right. So I'm lucky to have friends who are very talented in that regard where I can pay them to be able to do their work. 
Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. I think I have $80 in my bank account right now. But, like... We're in a Nashville estate right now. It's basically. not an estate. <laughs> it's a fucking 1,400-square-foot home. Um, but, like... But, like... I, I you know... I don't know. I, I'm just happy that, like, I, I have the ability when I do to pay my friends and then knowing that the product will be good. Right. Well, another thing you said, too, which is another, like, guys are like, oh, man, you meet the best friends broken down on the side of the road or whatever. You and, you, and you might. I've, met, I've had some good stories, too. But, like, for me, when I hit the fucking road, dude, I don't want to break down. I don't think it's like... I don't think anybody the, wants to break down. I don't think it's down, like the chopper cool. Like I think people think like leave on a fucking sketchy ratty chopper, and you know like I feel like some guys hope to break down or something. I don't know. I man. well I I, I love leave on a solid as much, fucking piece. As much as I don't want to be the guy who breaks down, I still break down. Everyone does. But like the thing is, is I have the mo- mo- most fun on the side of the road. With my friends. Okay. I, like, we just did a trip from Denver to Los Angeles a few months ago, and our buddy Eli shows up out of... Well, I didn't, hadn't met this guy before, but he fucking... We're all riding in, and my buddy's like, Eli's going to meet us, he's going to ride up, and he, we're going to follow him to Salt Lake. We're like, okay, cool. This dude's like a fucking copper miner, like, awesome dude. Crazy guy. Shows up on this crazy, like, 70s BMW with heated grips and bubble bags. He's like, follow me! And we're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> We get in, he's like, yeah, my shovel head's not done, so I have this crazy black that I got for nothing. We're like, all right. And he can't, he, he's like, I'm only going to ride with you to X place. We get, and we get, like, kind of near there, and he goes, you know, or he's like, I'm going to ride with you to the coast, and he's like, and then I'm going to go up to San Francisco. We're like, okay, cool. And we get, we had, like, this crazy fucking day where Warren blew up his top end, and we'd met this guy named John who owned a ghost town in Nevada, and John was on a panhead. And we were riding with John most of the day, and then Warren blew up, and John's like, okay, here's my address. Just, if you if you break down, just come to my house. I have lift, I have tools, I can help you out. I'm like, okay. So, Warren breaks down, this guy comes, we, some guys knew a dude, and he came and picked Warren up in a truck, took him, it's like an hour and a half away. And then, I took everyone the wrong way. Then we went the right way, so we were more like two hours away, and we had to ride through all these crazy crickets, the Mormon crickets, and it was cold. It was miserable. But, like, I'll never forget that. Yeah. And I'll never forget John because we broke down. And I'll never forget, you know, how much I learned at that time that remaining calm is important and that, like, taking care of your friends is important. You don't get your friends. And fucking um, Eli was a big part of that trip. And after that, he goes, you know what? No, guys, fuck, I'm coming with you coming down there with you. All right, man. Let's go. And we were putting beers in his fucking bag. So whenever we break down, or we had a cooler, so we could pull up beside him, roll the cooler down, and then pull a beer out because we had it rat strapped to his bike, and we could drink on Highway 50 because no one else is around. And then we break down. We're like, this is a two-beer stop, and we're all having two beers on the side of the road because it doesn't really matter where the fuck we got to go. It's just like being present, and I think being on the side of the road makes you more present than not. Yeah. So you you're right about that. When I'm with a group of people, I couldn't care if we break down every hundred foot, man. Like, but when most of my trips are solo, and I don't do chase trucks or nothing, which is part of what I like. That's part of my adventure. Yeah, is I like being out there on my own. 
it's kind of part of the thrill too, knowing if you do break down. I, I don't know. I I I do like that aspect of it. That's why I say I don't particularly like breaking down. Right. It's no fun when um when you break down in the middle of fucking nowhere and it's two a.m. I travel a lot yeah, at night. Fair. Like for oh, me, I don't I'm, do that. I'm like I'm I'm a real wildcat out there, man. Like a lot of guys don't travel at night. They don't travel at certain times. Like. For me, that's kind of part of the thrill too, is being out there when the rest of the world is sleeping. Right. And it's just me under and my headlights under the stars. See, my headlights cruising through the desert, two inches like, big, so I can't really see much at night with that. I, know, I've been there before, and it's fun. And for it's me, beautiful. that's part of that's part of my like meditation. Yeah. Where, you know, just being out there when the rest of the world isn't. Right. You know, I, when I'm alone, I just I'm go go go. Yeah. But I just gnarly breakdown. It would not gnar. I don't know. The breakdown itself was gnarly. What happened after the breakdown was gnarly. And I'm on the Minnesota-Iowa border, and I'm on the northern border, and I'm riding, and my shift linkage breaks. Right. Oh, fuck. Okay. So I fix it, but what I didn't know is that it was still in gear. So I kick it, and it starts first kick, and takes off with me. And I had to bail. (laughs) And I bailed into a ditch, and the bike just fell over and was fine. Right. Like, I... Like, I don't know how nothing got fucked up, but it was fucking fine. And not even a scratch on the tank or anything. And But it was so heavy for me to pick up, and because it was in a ditch, I couldn't go backwards, so I had to pick up. And somebody comes up, and he's like, I'm going to call an ambulance. I'm like, no. I, we got it up. I was like, later, man. And it fucking started it and left. And it was just held together with zip ties. And then I broke down another time because my clutch cable snapped. And my buddy Sam FaceTime, Sam Rapschutz. FaceTime, he's like, I got a fix for this. You're never going to believe how this is going to work, but watch this. And I rode with my um, clutch cable uh, hose clamped to my bar end for fucking, or to my lever for 800 miles to Sturgis. God damn. Kind of deal. Like, that's what's fun for me is when I can overcome that situation. And what I've had to learn a lot is I'm not a very patient person. I'm prone to freaking out sometimes. So. I've had to learn how to not do that. I had to remain calm, and it's it's a it's a pra- it's um it's uh practice, not perfection. Right. That's surprising for me to hear. I don't know you too well, mm-hmm. um, but just knowing your background, it's surprising for me to hear that you're. I get stressed, man. Really? Yeah. I mean, everyone gets stressed, and we just show it in different ways. So it's like we all have different coping mechanisms. So I just get mad sometimes and want to throw a wrench, but I know that that's not the way you solve problems. So I stop doing that. I like that as a t-shirt. I just get mad sometimes. Yeah, I just get mad sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, my friends have funny stories about it, but I'm not going to tell you any right. for self, <laughs> self-preservation. Understandable. Yeah. Understandable, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely have my share of breakdown stories that led to some of the best friends in my life, you know, but um, I, I just, it's just, I feel like some guys romanticize it just in a way where I just I don't think I just don't think something should be romanticized in some ways like that. I love breakdowns sometimes. I love it. Yeah. Um, the best memories I guess I've you ever are made, one of those people that the romanticize. The best the best photo- photographs I've ever made are usually on the side of the road. Yeah. That well some of the ones you showed me um by dump trucks that most of them were like roadside and they roadside, were yeah. rad as hell, man. That's what matters. This is fucking anybody could ride a motorcycle, but not everyone can see the value and you know certain things that come along with it that's true that's true which is also going back to like it drives me nuts when people want to just get everyone into this man 
It's I just hold it too close to my heart. I don't think it should be watered down like that. I don't think it's for everyone. No, it's not for everyone, but I think everyone should at least give it a try. Kind of mm. deal, because you never know. Um, I'm supportive. If somebody wants to do it, fuck it, man. It ain't my place to tell them no. Right. Well, I, I do agree with the freedom that everyone should have the opportunity to try, yeah. but like I just see it a lot at, at a lot of these events, like just people talking people into it when I could just see I it in their face where I'm like, eh, it's just, I, I don't just think, think it's, it's for them. The, my thing is I just don't think it's so serious. It's not so serious. It's just fucking steel and aluminum and all sorts of metals melded together to make an art form that only really means something to you. It really doesn't mean shit to anybody else. Yeah. And sometimes it does, but very rarely in that case. So to me, it's like, you know, I think people get into it and I don't want to talk about this too much, but I, th- I think people get into it because it will impress other people or it will say something more about them or they'll, f- and I know this because it was me. I thought I was going to impress people. I thought I was, and it changed for me eventually, but that's how it felt. And I um, think that maybe, uh, you know, if you do it for you, it's it's a little bit better. Right. It's just about how, how you go about it, I think. And it's not so serious. It doesn't matter. It's just like, I get it if you feed your family with it and, you know, making bikes and whatever. That's great. But, like, again, man, it's nothing in life is so serious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look at it more of the aspect of, like, you're putting someone's life on the line. But in, in terms of the serious thing or the cool guy thing, I, I don't I agree. It's, it's that's not, why it's not so serious. It's, it it's should like, be very relaxed. When you're, when you're on the road with a group of people, you need to be vigilant, walking, watching out for each other. But at a, at the same point, is like that's why not everything's so serious because you know what it, the worst day could be. Right. You know what the worst day could be, but the idea is like, okay, well today is not the worst day, so I'm having a good day instead. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, at that perspective is, I think, what more people need, man. It's like, man, life is pretty good if you're waking up breathing. True that. <laughs> like, you Fucking could change amen it. to that. You could change it every day. Yeah, absolutely. I have more of the days some days than not. But, you know, I don't know. It's just manifesting it, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. You want to end on that? Sure. Want to tell people where to reach you? Uh, you can reach me on uh, Instagram at Chopper Chug or at Liam N is in Nancy Kennedy. Um, you know, you can find different ways to contact me on there. I try to answer as many DMs as I can. Um, but yeah, um, I probably won't answer all your photo related questions because you can find that stuff on YouTube. But if you got good photo books and you got good recommendations you want to send me, I'll send you some of mine. Yep. Um, also, do you have a name for the book yet? Maybe something people could watch out for in the future? Uh, Shakedown. Shakedown. Okay, cool. Fuck yeah, man. Go find him. And uh, I look forward to seeing Shakedown, dude. Thanks, man. I can't wait to throw in a fucking copy on my coffee table. Fuck yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Liam, Appreciate thank it, you for your time, man. Um, yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And uh, see you guys next week. Too hard in bloodshot eyes Troublemaker I-